0: Welcome, all you weirdos, Krakowans, and everyone who's ever felt just a little disappointed after opening your last Christmas present. I'm Jason, and I'm here with my pal, Reuben. Hey, how's it going, Jason? Are you wearing any Halloween costumes today? Well, it is. We are recording on Halloween morning, so uh, all Hallows Eve morning. So I, I am dressed accordingly. Uh, my costume this year is sexy gold balls. That's what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm dressed as <laughs> Fabio Medina uh, in his X-Men outfit, You know, formerly known as Egg, uh, but I'm wearing fishnet stockings and a halter top, so that makes it sexy gold balls. So Ruben. Nice. You tell me, what? how are you celebrating this uh, special yeah, day?
1: I, I'm pretty exhausted with the two tykes at home, so I have the lazy man costume. I just painted a red diamond on my forehead, and I'm going as Sinister Clone.
0: Very good. Uh maybe you'll maybe you'll get to be the one in charge next time. Who knows? Everyone takes a turn.
1: <laughs> yes, I am I am uh the Alpha Sinister. <laughs> Ooh,
0: exciting. That's at least what you tell the wife later tonight. Uh so anyway, everyone please follow us on Twitter at WS Marvel Comics. Uh check out our website at Weird Marvel dot com and hey, maybe even consider hopping onto our Patreon you get all sorts of extra shows and get to yell at us on our Discord and tell us what costumes we should be wearing. But today uh we are going to talk about just the one book. It's it's a big one it is. Really this is the issue that got this whole podcast started. This was a whole series going, a whole new event and I said, "Hey, you know Jim, we should really talk about this." He said, it's the X-Men. I don't want to talk about the X-Men, so (laughs) that's why this got spun off. This is Axe Judgment Day number six. Uh, Our whole podcast has been leading up to this. All 20 episodes, all 24 plus hours of me and Ruben and Chris yakking about the X-Men leads to this moment. So did did it live up to the hype? Was it worth starting this whole podcast over or was it just a mistake from the very beginning? Uh, We'll let you know. So without further ado... Let's get into it. Uh, this is, of course, Axe Judgment Day number six, written by none other than Kieran Gillen, art by Valerio Sheedy with Ivan Fiorella. So when we left off, as we remember, we had all these different pieces starting to come together. We had the progenitor trying to get the machine that is earth to, to blow itself up and just kill everybody. We had Fastos go in and push a button to reset the Earth's Windows NT operating system to slow this down a little bit. We had an AI team led by two actual AIs, Moira and Nimrod, also trying to slow it down. We've got a strike team inside the progenitor heading for some magic self destruct button. We have the odd couple team up of Exodus and a kind of semi messed up sign the Mimator, maybe gonna fight from the outside. We have a fully resurrected Captain America, and we have Eros, the current Prime Eternal, making a deal with Zerus to let humans hide out in Eternal space, hoping to keep them alive until everything just maybe blows over. You know, like I said on on Slack, which again, you could all join when you join our Patreon, Arrow should have just herded up all the humans and the whole world and sent them to Planet Fitness Gyms, because as we know, those are No Judgment Zones. Uh, we're not sponsored by Planet Fitness, but if they want to send us a check, we will cash it. That's terrible, man. <laughs> I, I saw, I somehow, I drove past one, and no judgment <laughs> went to my head, and I I have to let oh, the wow. bad jokes out, otherwise they build yes. up. Yes, okay. It's part of being a father, as I'm sure you, are, you know already, <laughs> or you'll be learning very soon. So, by the way, we also have billions of dead humans, including lots of big day Marvel heroes, and I think that sums up our current situation. Did I, did I miss anything, Ruben?
1: No. I will say, I... I at the end of all this, I kind of laugh about the idea that Avengers are involved in this event at all. And I'm looking at this um, bio page on the, at the very beginning, and we see you know, the roll call for the Avengers. And I'm like, Thor, Starbrand, Nighthawk, Captain Marvel... Were they even in this issue? <laughs> Nighthawk appears in one
0: panel. He has one line towards the end. I do believe he has not been a major part of this event. I would say,
1: yeah, it feels like um, there's a director's cut where like these characters have you know <laughs> scenes or something. But I'm just like, this is just not an Avengers. Release event. the
0: Gillen cut. Yes, yeah, That's It's exactly. gonna be the cry. Yeah, it, I mean, it does seem I- that this event is not equally important for all three of our titular groups. If you're an Avengers fan. You don't miss anything if you skip this. I mean, you miss the event, but there's no major changes happening to the Avengers at all, even ones that really should happen. But we'll argue about that later on. So we, we start off, we've got uh, Captain America being alive again, which I thought was going to be more of a big deal. It doesn't. He's not really a big part of this whole plot in this issue. I mean, the the big cliffhanger last time was, oh, they're, they're rebirthing Captain America. But he just kind of shows up, uh, a, he has some coffee with Jada. And he helps to get some humans into the Eternal Territory. And here I'm wondering, it's kind of weird that it's only humans, right? Shouldn't it be kind of a Noah's Ark situation? You need some plants, need some animals.
1: Yeah, something like that. I, I think the point for him being back is really just to calm people down enough to stick with the plan of you know escaping into, uh, was it the nexus or whatever they call the area that the Eternals exist in? But yeah, he doesn't seem to care about saving the, the giraffes and zebras and...
0: Or, or, yeah, at least some sort of, you know, if the people are going to survive after this and come back out. I, yeah, I mean, something. Of, of course, we all know that's not going to matter because everything is going to get reset. But it's something I thought of. We do check back in on our six most important humans in the whole wide world. Uh, and yeah, most of them, most of them die. We see Tom. He, he burns to death. And I think we're supposed to think he kind of deserves it because he's been the biggest jerk out of all of them. We see Katrina die, but. She's a hero helping to evacuate people from a burning building. Kamali dies as her building collapses. Daniela makes it into a portal with her mother. And Jada and Kenta, I think, are also inside eternal space somewhere at this point. So I, I expected more out of these characters, I think. They really haven't been characters for the most part, right? Jada participated in those anti mune protests, had some coffee with Captain America. Arjun died so that seeing the Mimator could be reborn. So he just got, you know, refrigerated in certain parlance. Uh, other than that, they've just been evidence that hey, sometimes people can be nice, and sometimes people can be jerks. Which I, I think we kind of already
1: knew. Any uh, any reaction? I'm not gonna, to I'm these not disagree with that. I, I think it's just a perspective. Um, like a narrative perspective thing where you kind of see how different people are experiencing a worldwide c- cataclysmic event. And maybe there's some sort of subtext of like, do we deserve to be judged favorably or negatively? Yeah, that's have, certainly what's going on. I agree,
0: yeah, but we are I, complex I beings. A, a little more out of them. So we head into uh, the internal city. We're told that the AI squad is hard at work slowing things down, but you don't actually get to see that. We just get told that by uh, Nightcrawler. And I guess maybe those exclamation points in the background are supposed to be, oh, that's computer stuff going on, like when you get an <laughs> error on your MacBook. Yes. We check back in with the progenitor. He's he's annoyed by the delay and decides instead of just trying to access it remotely, you know, uh, go in by his VPN or whatever, he's just going to go there in person, go to the reality loom and just hack it to bits. So that's, that's- – I think that's a lesson for all you uh, budding computer scientists out there. Sometimes you just got to go to the server directly.
1: I mean, it's not a bad, it's not a bad twist, right? You can put up a lot of tech protection, right? But somebody could still go and sit down to your laptop and access it. Yeah, that's true. I, I certainly
0: don't want to have page after page of him trying to, you know, make the, the the connection work better from a distance. So,
1: and I I appreciated the the imagery of him basically deciding to cut into the. You know, basically the server where he kind of like slices half the earth.
0: We get a pretty cool looking panel where it's a lot like Moses' part in the Red Sea, but yeah. in a very different feel to it because he's heading off to, you know, kill us all. Then we check in with our strike team inside the Progenitor. Remember the ones that had their own semi-pointless set of, of three number one issues that were plot uh, plot vital, we were told, or whatever the phrase was. They're almost it's all very essential. To- a lot of sense. Story essential. They're almost all the way to the core <laughs> node, whatever that is. It's going to be some place they have to get to that they think from that point they can shut off or blow up the progenitor. There, there is one interesting bit here. Sinister is really annoyed that unlike everybody else on the team and maybe everybody else on Earth, he hasn't been judged. Yes. Why do you, and from why his do you perspective,
1: think that is? He is the most important person, if not the only person, that matters in the entire world. Of course. And oh. so the fact that he is the only person that doesn't get the attention of this godly being probably would really irk him. But why do you think he's not
0: judged? Is it some com- com- way related to him being one of these clones? Like, is there like a is it supposed to think? Oh, maybe this has tied him to him thinking. Maybe he's not the real Nathaniel Essex. Maybe it's the yes. club or the diamond or the heart.
1: Yes, that's what I would think. And that's actually a really interesting bit. Is if he is a uh, you know hundreds of clones. And he's not being judged. Does that mean this one is not the actual? Well, Prime how do we
0: one? think that works with other clones? I mean, did Madeline Pryor and X twenty three and all those other clones not not get a judgment? Did uh, you know Spider Man's clone brother not get judged? I guess we never saw any of that, so we could yeah, we could make it can in either his way. various clones, but it, it's probably uh, Kieran Gillen planting some sort of a seed for a. Uh, sins of sinister yes anyway as they approach this node we're reminded or maybe told for the first time if you didn't read the one shots that the eternals firewalls are back up meaning they can't be controlled by the immune psychics anymore but also their eternal protocols including the one that says protect celestials have been deactivated and the point here is that whatever they do from now on at least in this situation is their own free will they're not anybody's puppet, not the Celestial's puppet, not the Mutant's puppet. It's it's their own free will, which is philosophically yes. interesting. Yes. So they enter the core, and I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting this. They find <laughs> inside this core, it's kind of like a, a more organic looking, much, much smaller version of the progenitor. Is it it's like- Evangelion. <laughs> <laughs> That's on my list. I haven't seen it yet. I was I sort of have this in my notes. Is this is he parodying like a to the
1: Angels in okay. Evangelion? Yeah, the the look is very reminiscent of that. But yeah, it's like uh I don't know what it is. It's uh looks like the progenitor a little bit sleeker a little bit more organic. Yeah, it, it
0: seems like this is the real progenitor and the big body is just this robotic mech. It's piloting like a, like a Voltron for us old school people. Uh, but what I'm surprised by is why are the people who built the progenitor surprised by this? Shouldn't they know? I mean, they, they, they literally built it. They literally brought it back to life and yes. they had no idea that this is the way it works. So I get that for story purposes. It helps to have like a person-sized character for the Strike Force to interact with, yep. but in universe it, it's a little shaky. So yeah, anyway, I think, mm-hmm, um,
1: yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but again, it's a celestial, right? Like, who knows what happens when it activates? This couldn't have, you know, it's possible this didn't exist and that this was like created after the fact.
0: I guess so. Could be. It it seems awful convenient, but that's fine.
1: I just think it's a it's an artistic thing, right? If this was like just a button on a wall, it would be a lot less dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> a button with like in a fact, speaker next to In I actually imagine, yeah. I'm now going to have fun imagining like each of these scenes where it's just like a button in they're <laughs> jumping have it, have dramatically it like towards it. Like
0: Hal in 2001, just a, a spooky red light next to a voice box. So Jean Grey does the smart thing here, right? Which is what they've set out to do. Uh, she's going to kill this mini progenitor. She uses an old Psylocke trick of, You know, using her focused totality of her psychic powers to make a psychic knife. Uh, She's about to do that. And and what happens? But Ajax steps up and says, "Uh, You know, I'm just going to club you on the back like I'm Bobby Bonds. And it just clocks her. Like, what? Why is she doing that?
1: Well, she still believes it's her God. And she thinks that this whole situation is um, a test. And that at the 11th hour, the celestial is going to deem them worthy. It seems awful late for that. I mean, he's already killed
0: billions of people i I'm but, sure that's what they're trying remember, to do
1: if yeah. you remember from the uh the one shots she had no problem killing you know thousands of people in the name of her faith,
0: and in my mind, this is just the same okay i can I can go with that i I guess that makes sense uh so we go back outside the progenitor we're inside the inside the machine that is earth at the reality loom and now it's it's time for everybody to take a turn dying heroically. Uh, so I guess there were like <laughs> small arms guns inside the armory of Oranos, <laughs> because we see tons of regular humans holding them. I don't yeah, think we see anybody shoot weird. them. We just see them very... hold the guns and then get massacred to death by the progenitor.
1: Yeah. The weaponry was very different when it was on Mars, right? I guess this is like the <laughs> the less good equipment. I guess they used up all the all the <laughs>
0: drones and the robots and the, you know, creatures. Yes, and now it's just, well, we've got, we've got some guns left over. <laughs> but again, the point is to show that people are taking part in the defense. Yes. Uh, and then we get C and the mimator who are so excited to see, oh, what, what her and Exodus are going to do, and uh, she goes out real quick too. And we get this idea of a mutant circuit, which, oh, I, I like that idea, like what combination of of clever mutant powers are going to fit together to do something. Now, it's just what our old buddy Chris would call the, the Care Bear stare, where they just pump all their, quote, power through Exodus, who gives it to seeing the Mimator who slows the progenitor down for 2.5 seconds until it just melts down and ends. That was kind of a disappointment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like this final stand was a little too rushed. And I'm not sure where they could have extended it a bit, but it definitely felt a lot less dramatic it than. It felt perfunctory. The first like we attack. got a
0: list of people we have to show participated and went check, 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 check. Okay, we're done. Because the next group that gets to participate is Orcus. We have another one panel of, you see, Nimrod. You see a bunch of sentinels, you see Moira at least pointing and yelling. I'm not sure if she's getting involved herself. And I did like this bit. We even see one of those crazy scientists who turn themselves into apes way back in Hickman X-Men number 1. You oh, see him I in the didn't corner? See that.
1: that is good. That's, I appreciate that's a nice that. little little moment. Yeah. I smiled
0: at that. And I think the guy with the uh the green uh, backpack flying around thing. That might also be an ape. I Can't tell quite as much. I think it is, yeah. Uh, good. To, uh, okay. Nice. Okay, Kieran.
1: That's okay, a good that callback.
0: That's a nice callback. I was it's, it's kind better of disappointed. In dupe in it again, at least.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was kind of disappointed by this part though because I really did want to see you know what is Isorcus going to be doing, and not much. <laughs> no, they, they're seen being
0: part of the defense. That is the big thing. Yes, they're, they're seen in public by whatever is left of the public. You know, after you know, to them save in humanity. here, and more of them got just massacred in the previous panel. But they're known to have helped out. Then we go back inside the progenitor, and Sinister takes Ajax out with some random gun so that Jean has her own freedom again. She goes to attack the mini progenitor, but uh, he says, nope, puts up a shield, kind of punches her in the face. It was a test. It was a setup. It was like George Costanza with the Twix bars and the car dealership. It was all a setup, and they all failed. He says, <laughs> for some reason, this means that nobody can change, nobody can grow, uh, because you only want to kill me, mutants, because you have your resurrection protocols, and you have less stakes than everybody else. And it's not like he's given them a lot of options. I, I guess the option is supposed to be convinced the progenitor to undo everything, which can't happen if you kill the progenitor. Yes. But the progenitor has shown zero possibility of being convinced to do that. It would be laughably improbable for the progenitor to change its mind now at the last moment, wouldn't it? It would just be a completely unbelievable turn of events for that to happen. So why should they believe that happens?
1: I, I agree with you, and this is where maybe you're just kind of going to say this sucks, and I'm going to say ah, it's a little clever. Is <laughs> okay. I think, yes, this is – he's not giving them choices, and when he ultimately comes around and decides that he himself is not worthy to judge the world, this is part of it. I think he finally realizes, yeah, I kind of had like a crap test, right? Like, what does this test prove? Nothing, right? You put a gun to somebody's head, and then you're like, you never liked me, right? It's – what do you expect, right? It's He's a uh, he's he's big, giant, super
0: cosmic, amazingly intelligent being – and this is what convinces him? It, it It's not satisfying to me. But to, to continue on, would we get, uh, yeah, the progenitor is unimpressed as I am about this. Uh, oh, at this point, Cersei decides, hey, this is the moment of all moments. She's been alive for thousands and thousands of years. Now she's going to tell all the Six and a half hundred left surviving humans busy dying at the moment, so they're very busy at the moment. She announces to them, another announcement to the whole world, hey, I'm going to tell you the secret of eternal resurrection. Every time we resurrect, one of you dies to make that happen. And this makes the humans very cranky, makes them stop fighting the progenitor, who remember, this progenitor has killed zillions of times more humans in all the eternal resurrections in all of history, and they even start giving crap to Eros. I mean, without him, they'd all be dead now. I, I think they'd probably be, uh, well, that's interesting. Let's let's table that. We'll talk about that later. We're kind of busy at the moment. But nope, they get completely distracted by the whole resurrection thing. Uh, and And now we get some rapid-fire changes of opinion. Ajax says, oh, maybe my god's not so great anymore. Uh, she thinks that killing the world means that her god has failed. Now Jean, Jean goes the other way. She now thinks that progenitor. Well, you're not actually so bad anymore. I'm as a fellow genocider of planets. She thinks, oh, maybe the progenitor deserves another chance. And then Tony Stark makes his little speech about, hey, you know, who hasn't you know made a few mistakes now, and who hasn't killed a few billion people because you woke up on the wrong side of the Arctic? But anybody can be a hero. And this is where the progenitor has this sudden change of course, and decides, I'm just going to restore the whole world. And I guess you find this more uplifting and and convincing than I do. So so tell me why I should like this.
1: You should do whatever you want to do, man. Uh, The reason I was okay with this is I kind of thought a moment of self-reflection where he is enraged and then realizing that he himself is not worthy of judgment. This is the sort of like people in glass houses should not throw stones moment, right? Where he realizes I'm not perfect, so what the hell am I doing deciding who lives and who dies, right? I I don't have the, the right to do that. And so he decides to sacrifice himself. Stop, I agree stop being that's what we're supposed to think about and- it,
0: but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to make a weird analogy here. So, so so, go with me for a second. Have you ever seen, I'm, I'm sure you have, you've seen or read Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? The, the Three Ghosts, Ebenezer Scrooge, Jacob Marley, all that bit. And I've, I've heard people say that every production of A Christmas Carol depends on one moment. It depends on the moment where Scrooge reforms. You have to believe that Scrooge was this awful miser who hated everybody at first. You have to believe that he's a good guy who wants to save Tiny Tim at the end. And the actor and the director, whoever's making this, needs to sell that moment. If that moment is believed by the audience, the production is a success. If that moment is a flop, the whole production is a failure. And that's what this moment is to Judgment Day. And yeah, I... I think it's a flop. I just don't buy the transformation for a minute. It's forced, artificial, unconvincing. A few sappy words and this cosmic god decides, oh, everything I ever believed, I now believe the opposite. I, I get what they're trying to tell me. I'm just saying, yeah, uh, my m- my buy-in is, is lost here. I, I went along with this whole thing. Said, okay, maybe this will be good. Maybe this will be great. And this moment, it, it really it really left me. Cool. But that's that's the crux of this. and Everyone's going to have their own own reaction to this 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 big moment. So he undoes the judgment, which is going to reverse all of the bad stuff that the progenitor himself did. Right, all of the unleashing of the armies of Oranos, all the people who died uh, right before uh, they had coffee there. With uh, Captain America, all that stuff is undone. But all the other stuff, all of the Eternals attacking Krakoa, all of orino's attacking Mars, all the other fighting—that is not undone.
1: We knew it was. Gonna- and so I'm gonna I'm gonna have a different perspective than you on this. When I read these sorts of events, my measuring stick is not: was the final battle incredibly satisfying? Because you know the heroes always win. And I and I agree with a lot of what you just said about a lot of flip flopping being sort of out of left field. And I, I don't think that moment was extremely satisfying. the The art definitely was played up to try to make you you know have your heartstrings tugged and and be like, wow, that's deep. I on those dimensions, totally didn't didn't impress me at all. And. So that that I agree with but the question for me is usually you know is did something in this series happen that has some sort of going forward effect that's interesting and I do appreciate that instead of a complete perfect reset at the end of this he just basically reset what he himself did, and so that that left me with questions, right? Like, well, what are all the things that he did or didn't do, right? And that got my my gears turning, right? And I'll then,
0: take that as a it could have been worse moment. I'll, I'll take that. You know, small <laughs> yeah, small I'm not victories. gonna I'm not going to
1: have this this crazy high score, right? So let me let me preface it that way, right? When I said I thought it was satisfying, it's more like okay, they killed off Cersei, right? And she seems like she has a permanent death, yes. We,
0: uh, I think not mentioned that. Icarus, yeah, but, uh, the progenitor Icarus is back. Af- after Cersei announces the whole, uh, "Hey, here's how eternal resurrection work." That's her proof to the progenitor. Hey, we can change. And before she even finishes that, he takes her out. It's it's really exactly like. uh in the Watchmen, right? How uh, Rorschach goes out, how Doctor Manhattan mm-hmm. makes him just go poof. It's it looks straight out of that that uh, that comic.
1: Yeah, and then it basically she doesn't come back because he said that that was the will of the people, right? That when she announced. The truth of the resurrection humanity was so enraged about that truth that they wanted her to be dead and so even though he was the the means of destruction he didn't view that as
0: which which you something think that did. all the people wanting an eternal to die would argue against saving them But I guess other things outweigh that. So the progenitor's done his thing. He's had his uh, his face turn, as you'd say in uh, in uh, you know wrestling. And he turns to Ajak, his remaining like main priest, one of his main priests, and says, "Hey, you are not only my priest; you're my maker. Am I a worthy god?" And Ajak sadly says, "No," gives him the big thumbs down. And we get a a very odd panel of the progenitor, the, the mini progenitor, crying out of all six of his eyes. Uh, says, you are correct, says, I ask of you this, be better, and then he imbues her with, I guess, what's left of his celestial essence, and he's going to turn her into a new celestial eternal god. If we want to talk about how changes, you know, if there's actual effects of this, clearly, and, and we we all predicted this, that the biggest effects are going to be on the Eternals.
1: Yeah, we have a new status quo for Ajax, right? Ajak is now a god, essentially a half-Eternal, half half-Celestial half being. Ajax
0: Celestia is her new name, yes.
1: Yeah, and like I said, Cersei's gone. Yep, those, those are the major
0: effects there, and everybody knows about how their
1: resurrection works. then Druid gets thrown into prison with...
0: Um, earnest. Yeah, well, before that happens, we do get a little resolution between the Eternals and the X-Men, where Xurus is uh, Prime Eternal again, back to that usual status quo. And I'm not sure where this happens. There's some symbols on the wall that kind of look like the UN, but aren't. He kneels in front of Storm, who I guess is the representative of all of the mutants, and basically says, oopsie, our bad. Sorry about that whole war thing. Uh, we're we're Give you a treat of alliance now, your fights are our fights. And here's this glowy orb thing that gives you like a, a timeshare, one hour of Oranos to use for whatever you want to use them for. Which again, this is planting some seeds for possible future stories.
1: It's a it's a Uranus
0: grenade. You could throw it at Orcus. It is, but I think we have to remember that, you know, once you let Oranos out, Oranos does what Oranos wants to do. <laughs> when he was released on Mars and told, hey, Kill some mutant slash maybe deviance slash anybody right? That's right up his alley. So of course he was going to do that. So I think the uh, X Men are going to have to be very careful about what they do with him because he's not just a bomb. He he has his own agency and he could uh, he could bite him in the rear end.
1: One idea that I heard that I I did enjoy was people saying, "Well, you could use him to solve the Children of the Vault problem." <laughs>
0: I I guess you could. I think that would kind of take two storylines and make them just mutually annihilate each other. I'm not sure if that would be the funnest way to do that, but okay. I I like that little, little idea. So we're done there. We've kind of had them make friends again. So we end the whole war that kicked off this event. We do see, yes, Druig. We never saw Druig get judged either. We were hinted all along about how scared he was to get judged, which I thought was foreshadowing us seeing his judgment, but I don't think we ever saw that. Did we? Mm-mm. No. But uh, the Eternals put him in the same prison cell as Orinos, who was going to do some something bad to him. I thought this was, <laughs> I mean, it's good to it's see- It's a little awkward. It's good to see Druid get punished, but it makes you think of you know bad things that happen in prison cells, which is kind of icky. C-
1: correct. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. But he's a bad guy, so don't worry about it. I'm sure it's something else that's happening. Yeah, I don't- I don't want to think about that. But also, I don't think they really built this up because we know that Ornos doesn't really like Druid, doesn't really trust him. But we never had it played up that he wanted to, you know, torture him to death, except I guess Ornos wants to torture everybody. So maybe that's it. It's just, he's bored in his cell. Here's his, his one new toy.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, he's just constantly said, you're a disappointment to me as part of my family. But yeah, I agree. I never thought of him as necessarily wanting to harm Druig. Although Druig, to be honest, was quite frequently like, I'm not letting you out, right? Like He didn't want to be near his grandfather. Mm-hmm. I guess he has a refutation. That's another story. <laughs> One that I don't want to read, but... <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then we get Zero's assuring storm that, yeah, that whole interpretation that all mutants are excess deviants. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm more conservative than Druig. The only time excess deviation is really a thing is when a deviant triggers our physiological response that we can't not obey. So you mutants, you're fine. You're just plain old humans, which I yeah. think was kind got of a funny line because Storm kind of takes that as a little bit of a diss, but he meant that in a, a nicer way. But, you know, zeros being Zuros, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> And he beams off to whatever next story is told about the Eternals. Probably not for several years, years, I would guess. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is really the big status quo change for the Eternals. Is we're just going to put them back on the shelf for a while. I don't. I don't see them as for all the interesting things about how, how connected are they to mutants, how connected are they to deviants. I think this event kind of seals their story off until sometime down the line another writer is gonna pick it up.
1: Yeah. But that being said again, um, you know, I've basically now read every major appearance of the Eternals, and this does give us some new ground to tread going forward. Like they're not gonna be, you know, just kind of beholden agents of the celestials anymore. And some of the major characters are gone.
0: That's true. Whoever does the next eternal story has like the opportunity and the requirement to come up with some new shtick, right? They, they you can't do the same old thing over and over again because it's changed too much. And it would take a lot of hand-waving to to, to to bring it back to that old way. So I think it has to be different.
1: Yeah. And I like that, right? At least for me. I always want characters and storylines to evolve. And I can't stand when they just constantly reset to like the, the center. It just makes me wonder, like, you know, what was the point of any of that? And again, I think I've said this before, but I dread... I, I don't mind the end of a Krakow era, if, as long as it's not just a reset to the, you know, old mm-hmm. X-Men and status quo. And I think quo. the
0: Eternals are minor enough characters that it's easier to change them, right? Spider-Man is always going to kind of revert to, you know... Ground level Spider-Man. He's, he's never going to change too much. I mean, I think Dan Slot made him, you know, rich and running a tech corporation for a little while, but then he went back to being, you know, working for the Daily Bugle and taking pictures and, you know, and a be, sad sack, poor and a sad sack again. It's always had to come back to that, but the Eternals are not Spider-Man. They're not even the X-Men, right? So. If they want to radically change the Eternals, people are going to accept that more than they would for one of their bigger name characters. So our next big change is the Phoenix Foundation. This is how Eros kind of brokered a deal between humans and the X-Men. I don't know who represented humans, but the idea is that, yeah... We're we have the resurrection thing, and you don't. But we're going to take five percent of the uh, activities of the five and use that to resurrect human beings. Which I don't know how these human beings got backed up. I don't know how this actually works. How the where the I guess you can get the DNA from you know you know yuck corpses, but the the cerebral backup. I don't know if these people can come through the waiting room but we were told very specifically yeah, that is only these, mutants
1: yeah these could be i mean they did it with captain america right these could actually be um like very recent right like within this event they start backing up people it has to be people who get backed up by cerebro Somehow, starting now, starting now, right, so we can't bring
0: back Leonardo da Vinci or whatever, yeah it has to I was be.
1: curious, and i I didn't really you know seeing that scene of Jean welcoming somebody out, I didn't see like, is this somebody I'm supposed to recognize,
0: but I think very much not, we're told that it's all about bringing back to be cruel about it, nobody's right it says we will prioritize the vulnerable, the weak, the poor, those whom the world has abandoned,
1: yeah, and that's what they're saying, but again, as far as like providing story opportunities this now tells me well hey they could actually use this as a me- before they you know end this which we all know it's going to end eventually they can use this as a mechanism to bring back somebody right i mean like a gwen stacy right like there could be characters that it could be like a big change they're,
0: they're not going to throw away their captain america backups right they're yeah. going to keep that on file somewhere just in case and they're probably going to put some other important people on
1: file just in case but st- I just feel like there will be somebody that they bring back that is a big deal. That's not a mutant. Could be. At I, least I'm optimistic. That could be very interesting. Me wanting this to be, you know, a meaningful event, right? Like that could be. Me being, I've I've become very cynical following my
0: not buying the the res, the uh, the transformation of the progenitor. So my cynical take here is that this is just big enough to say that the mutants are doing something, but also small enough so it doesn't really matter to the story and no other writer ever needs to mention this Phoenix Foundation again, right? We can just imagine it's happening in the background. <laughs> Nobody needs to worry about it. The other yeah. possibility is we get like an X-Corp type spinoff written by Teeny Howard, all about the Phoenix Foundation.
1: <laughs> you're, trying to, you're trying to ruin this for me, man. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have my happiness. <laughs> But
0: yeah, other than that, not much has really changed. orca got some good publicity, and I guess now was known by the public. The Avengers are once again operating right out of their now doubly dead celestial corpse which is once again back in the Arctic. So this event never has to be mentioned in Jason Aaron's Avengers at all. It never happened. Zero repercussions.
1: I want to I quickly pause. Um, there's one little bit here where they're talking about the Phoenix Foundation. Okay, Phoenix Foundation, and it's, yes. it's Gene and Scott talking, right? And Scott says, you know, for all our losses, I'd say this is a win for the X-Men. And maybe I'm reading too deep into this, but it's not a win for Krakoa, right? And there, there's been some hints that... Um, Gene and Scott are kind of trying to take more of a, like a leadership role and kind of make the X-Men the ruling body of the Krakoa, right? That's an interesting
0: take to it. I again I was being more cynical on thinking this is just Kieran Gillen telling people who didn't like this event, no, this was good. You're wrong to not like.
1: It. Yeah. Well he's back to thinking about his little group, right? And he's not focused on, you know, the the larger society that he allegedly operates okay. within. Okay. This
0: could be part of Scott turning the Krokoan society in a direction he wants it to go. That's the win for the X-Men? Yeah. Okay. I I like that. I'll buy that. I I like that you're making me a little bit less cynical. Somebody has to do it.
1: I do want to say this last thing: those people walking around with the uh, Orca's gear—total, total jerks.
0: <laughs> I I kind of want a a Nimrod balloon though, like that kid has. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's like randomly, you know, you see them once they help out a tiny yeah, little it, bit. It's, it's weird that
0: like, of all the people who acted in. in that moment, this is the group that this family really, really took to. It's 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 weird enough. It's funny enough. Again, it is some kind of change to the X Men status quo. So I like that. So now we turn to the Avengers back in the uh, the Dead Celestial. This is the panel where we get uh, Nighthawk saying, absolutely not. That is his whole line here. That's why he gets to be on the roll call, because he's standing there with his he's arms not folded. getting a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they just reiterate, oh yeah, nothing's changed here. Oh, Cersei's dead. We'll miss her. Oh well. Uh, we get Captain America having some more coffee. He loves to have the coffee in this <laughs> series. So much yes. coffee for Captain America. We do get a final scene, which is kind of cool. Again, I don't think it. Could, this is like making seeds for a future story. I don't really know what's going to happen, but having the possibility is kind of cool. So Ruben, why don't you tell us about this this last scene so you can do it in a less cynical way?
1: With Jada or with the uh, Celestial? With the, with, the, with the Celestial. Ajax Celestial. Okay. Yeah, so basically um, Ajax Celestial appears in, I guess, her new throne room. And she's kind of walking around thinking about, I don't know what she, (laughs) who knows what she's thinking about, but she's like, I guess, surveying her her world and wondering um, about judgment and, you know, what the criteria is for judging and being a better judge of character. You do see Makari
0: kneeling and bowing to her, which is – so, she is existing in like regular eternal kind of space, interacting with Eternals, which is interesting.
1: I do think it's kind of weird that Makari is like, okay, now you're my god. (laughs) They were like rivals, but whatever. I I assume there's some (laughs) sort of just
0: internal sense that the celestial essence is now inside this being. So, I must worship that being because that has the celestial essence in it.
1: And then basically she says, you know, oh, humanity, you should, you know, act as if you're always being judged because you are. And then she puts up her quivering thumb, which apparently is always going to be like slightly pointing towards down. Yeah, we're always on the brink and we still have
0: the narration from the progenitor, which I think is interesting. Because we had the narration from the progenitor before the progenitor existed, and we're told that he's just so powerful that his his conversation with us, the readers, can project back in time. And now we can see that his conversation with us goes after he dies as well, which that's kind of cool. And he tells us about this new celestial god and how she's going to be different and how we're, we're not safe now. Yes, he undid his one annihilation in the world, but his error was deciding too quickly. It wasn't that he didn't have the right to decide. It was that he should have taken in some more data first. So Ajax Celestia is going to be in here watching over the Earth. And when she decides that, oh, yeah, actually, they do kind of suck. We should kill them all. It's going to happen again.
1: She'll come back at, at the last second when Orcus is attacking. and <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to ask a, a question I've asked
0: before. When I said, hey, I wonder what the rest of the Celestials think about the Progenitor being brought back in this new way. Now I'm wondering, what do the rest of the Celestials out there in the universe think about this Ajax Celestia who's not a Celestial, one of their creations, but now has been given Celestial power? What are they going to think about that? Yeah, and that's a good story. It could be, because... Remember, from the Celestials' point of view, the Earth had one purpose, right? The Earth's purpose was (laughs) to develop some sort of cure to this nasty, infectious, lice kind of disease they have, right? Celestial lice. The Earth did that, so they kind of let Earth continue because why not? But if Earth's going to be a problem for them, you know, we have them messing around with Celestial powers, I would think the Celestials, if they hear about this, are going to be, oh, well, let's just wipe them all out. We don't need that kind of headaches.
1: But they're Celestial.
0: Celestial's going to do whatever Celestial's going to (laughs) do.
1: They're going to have coffee with her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: about the coffee. I I I bet that's just... uh Kieran Gillen looking at the coffee cup in his hand and said, "Yeah, I bet Captain America would like this too." Yeah. So that's the end of this whole event. We we knew that something like this ending had to happen. We knew that this is a story being told in the larger Marvel universe and kind of being told about the larger Marvel universe, but only being told in one little corner of it. So we knew that Kieran Gillen was not going to radically change the whole six one six and have that reflected in. Avengers and Spider-Man and everything else, right? We knew that wasn't going to happen. I still wish there were some more actual repercussions. The Eternals, as we said, have the biggest change. Cersei is dead. You know, A C-list character is now off the board. Ajax in this new form. No one except you and me really care about the Eternals, and they're going to be back on the shelf for a long time.
1: Yeah. My sense of this is your satisfaction with this event is where you fall on the spectrum. If you're an Eternals fan, I would assume you thought favorably of the event as a whole. If you're an X-Men fan, you're probably indifferent. And if you're an Avengers fan, you probably thought this was terrible. I...
0: I like the Eternals, but I'm a little disappointed because I like the Eternals and their Kieran Gillen series kind of doing their own thing, right? They interacted with the X-Men here and there, but it was really about Eternals doing Eternal stuff with other Eternals. I think making this little kind of niche group the focus of a giant Marvel event took them out of where they, they work best. I think they didn't belong there. And I think it shows their limitations in a way that was kind of glaring. So I, I wish they had been more on their own thing. That's my point. The Muins had some small changes, that Alliance, that Oranos thing, the Phoenix Foundation, and the Avengers, no changes at all. I mean, we do have that Omega issue coming now in two weeks, and it's possible we learn some more repercussions from that book. But again, my, my hopes aren't very high. Perhaps that'll, perhaps that'll bring me up a little bit, but...
1: It would be kind of cool if when the eventual... Krakoa-Orcus conflict starts that the uh, Eternals show up, like they call in the... uh you know, the, I guess the treaty they've got now. That, with.
0: that would be neat because we do know that the Krakoa era is going into what are they calling it? Fall of X. That the next era. So if things are going to go bad, and Kieran Gillen we know is writing X Men stuff at least for a while, he's part of the whole Sins of Sinister event. He could bring the Eternals back into that. That that could be interesting. There were some high points along the way. I mean, we gave some issues really high scores. I gave issues high scores. Had it raised some issues I like, some ideas. But again, because this is an event in the larger Marvel universe, you couldn't really have those issues play out like you could in, if this were an indie book, right? If this were just Kieran Gillen writing his own universe, he could do whatever he wanted. He could have actually you know, killed off a billion people. But on the flip side, if he was writing this in his own independent universe, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. We probably wouldn't be reading it. So it's a catch-22. People pay attention more when it's done in... A big shared universe like Marvel or DC, but it's also really limiting as what they can actually accomplish. So there, there is a catch twenty
1: two there. Yeah, you could read Hellboy if you're more interested in massive events affecting the world and then staying in effect. That's a very interesting that comparison. A lot in that, yeah, because that is that a, a
0: universe that's big enough that <laughs> a lot of people care about it. Not as big as Marvel, obviously, but also controlled by one artistic voice who can do stuff to it. And when you read that, you do believe that, oh yeah, he might really seriously mess this place up.
1: Different podcasts, but I would say that does happen in that series and it's pretty great. Cool.
0: I have not read much Hellboy, but the little bits I've read do seem really neat. So... I should get more into that. So to wrap up this discussion of Judgment Day number six, the big grand finale. Obviously, I wasn't too thrilled by it. I was a little disappointed. I wanted bigger stuff to happen, or at least more satisfying explanation for why stuff that had to happen did happen. I'm going to land on a six out of ten. So not not tragic, awful, burn it down and forget about it, but also (laughs) also kind of disappointed.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm only slightly higher than that. I'm around six eight, and that's really based on. Optimism about you know real events coming out of this that tell interesting stories going forward. The final issue was was a letdown, but um, I've I've been more disappointed. <laughs> Maybe I, that's I do think not that a great I've, way to judge things, but it, it, I always kind of who assume. Kieran
0: Gillen's Eternal should definitely read this because it does bring that story to, if not a close, then to a, its next chapter. If you're an X Men fan. It, it it's worthwhile to read the main series just to kind of learn about the Phoenix Foundation and how Resurrection is now seen. And if again, if you're an Avengers fan, it's just not necessary to read this.
1: Yeah, and overall for this event, um, I'm probably only gonna give it like a seven-two. That's but, That's
0: very fair. I don't have a number for that, but that, that seems very fair. It has some really cool moments. It has a lot of bloat, and it has an ending yeah. that didn't really pay off.
1: Yeah, if if you trim this down to maybe twelve issues, it probably would have been you know, seven five or an eight, but I do think this last issue drags it down a lot. Unfortunately, very fair. Okay. but doesn't it doesn't make me angry? I guess, <laughs> and I hate to say that's a high, yeah, high praise, it's, right? It, it's
0: like that when the worst thing your parents say to you. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed, yeah, which yeah, is so much worse.
1: All right. Maybe the Omega issue will will change that, right? Maybe maybe it'll blow my mind, but we'll see. I, I guess so. I'm
0: I'm not going to open myself to that level. I'm not going to say maybe. I'm going to say I'm going to read it, and we'll see what happens. So next week we expect to have the Judgment Day Omega issue. That's what my spreadsheet says, but it's it's been delayed a week. So instead, next week we'll have X Men Red number eight, where maybe we'll see what Cable has in store for Ms. Abigail Brand now that he knows some of her secrets. And that'll be a lot of fun, I think. And also next week, well, this week, Wolverine also came out, which uh, got overshadowed by the Judgment Day finale. And that issue is about Jeff Bannister again. And it's the beginning of The Beast. What do they call it? The Beast something? Some big oh, arc yes. about Beast. Yeah. So yeah. we'll talk about that next week as well. And also, Deadpool number wall comes out next week, and we know he's not really mutant, but he, he's told us that he considers himself to be basically a mutant. So maybe, you know, the Marvel podcast is kind of on hiatus at the moment, so maybe Jim won't get too upset if we decide to take a peek at what new Deadpool writer Alyssa Wong does with the character. That sound like fun, Ruben? That sounds good. All right. So that is what's coming next week. Uh, if you have any reaction to our positions, our praise, our criticism, do let us know at WSMarvel on Twitter or hit us up at the website, weirdsciencemarvelcomics.com. Uh, for this week, happy Halloween, everybody, and we will see you next time.